At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Well, please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You're going to be closer to the back of the Bible as you dive into that. If you're on an app or something, pull it up. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be diving into the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, so I wanted to let you know so you can follow along a little bit more as we're diving into this scripture. Now, I think it's really important because we're diving into chapters 8 and 9 of this scripture. And it's important to know what's been going on so far in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. As we look at the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament are letters written to churches, many from the Apostle Paul, also from the Apostle Peter, and this is written to the Corinthian church. Uh, he's written them four letters, actually, and this is the, the second one that we have recorded. And what's going on within this text is the Apostle Paul, he, he's explaining to the Corinthian church that he is on the mission of God. And what's been happening is, is false teachers have gone into the Corinthian church and they have discredited Paul because he has suffering in his ministry and suffering in his life. The lie that was presented forth was that if there was suffering in Paul's life and suffering within his ministry, then what's happening there is God's favor is not upon Paul. So in the first seven chapters, we see Paul re-engaging with the Corinthians and letting them know that suffering grows us and letting them know how suffering has grown his ministry and how God has been working in him, just reaffirming his apostleship within the first seven chapters. I do want to encourage you as we study in chapter eight and nine to read through the entire book of 2 Corinthians. It's very important to be studying in the book that we're diving into so that you can be in that world and you can know what's going on. Because again, these are letters and we don't just want to take parts of a letter and dive into it without looking at the letter as a whole. So please look at 1 Corinthians chapters one through seven over this week and continue to dive into 2 Corinthians as we look at the Apostle Paul's letter. But what also is going on within this letter as well is that the apostle is, is concerned because if his ministry is discredited because of his suffering, then it's going to cause the church at Corinth to not care about the other believers that are in Jerusalem and really the offerings that are being taken place in order to help with the relief of the saints are no longer going to happen. And so what we see in chapter 8 and 9 is, is the principle of generous giving that the apostle Paul is going to be talking about. Now, when we think about the idea of talking about giving, there's so many different ways that we've seen it done before. Uh, but this morning, I really think it's incredible because we're not really just talking about principles of giving. What we're talking about is the principles of the gospel. What we're talking about is that the gospel within us and the grace within us overflows in us in order that that results in loving others, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and generous giving to the relief of the saints. So let's dive into God's word here. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning in chapter 8. Let's read that. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You know, as we look at this text, the principle that we're seeing within this is those who have truly experienced grace give grace to others. Those who truly have experienced the transformation of Christ within themselves and God has actually uh, changed their life, they are those who also want to see others' lives changed as well. Truly generous giving is an overflow of joy from God. And that's what we're seeing within this text. The way we know that we have received God's grace is a few different things. We have a love for God and we have a love for his people. And, and this can overflow in generous giving to God and to his people as well. See, Paul starts out this chapter, he's talking to the Corinthian church. But what he's going to do, he's going to use an example of another set of churches, the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you recall, what happened with the churches of Macedonia is that the Apostle Paul wanted his ministry to go to Asia Minor, but God kept blocking Paul from going to this place. It's very interesting that God kept shutting the door and shutting the door, and then finally, a vision comes to the Apostle Paul, and it is a man from Macedonia saying, please come to Macedonia. Well, what happens because of this is the Apostle Paul goes and he plants churches in Macedonia. And these are the churches that he's talking about here to the church at Corinth. And so what he's going to do is he's going to show what has happened in the church at Macedonia with the overflowing grace of God as they understand this. Now, it's important as we look at this word grace to understand what it means within this context. When we think of the word grace, we think about unmerited favor, and that is definitely the description of what grace is. Yet as this word is used multiple times in chapters 8 and 9, we really have to ask, what is Paul referring to? And what he's really showing is a tangible act of grace, which is the generous giving of the church at Macedonia. He's talking about that they have had the grace of God poured out on them, the salvation, the spirit, Christ in them. Yet at the same time, we see action from them about pouring grace to the other believers in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as we examine this church more, what is going on here. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Look at the circumstance that the Macedonian church is in. It says that they are in severe affliction. That means suffering. And this suffering is because of their faith. Yet they have this, this overflowing abundance of joy. 
And they're also in not just poverty, but extreme poverty. But this abundance of joy, even in the midst of severe affliction and extreme poverty, has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, as we think about these ideas, we don't normally think of generosity uh, within this idea of suffering or within this idea of poverty. Those, those don't go together. We think of generosity when it comes to abundance. So what could cause this? What could cause this overflow to happen? Because when we think about the word overflow, we think about the word excess, if I have an excess of something, then I will give and I will, and, and I will be able to be wealthy within that and generous within that. Yet they're in extreme poverty. So their wealth is from something else other than money. Well, we see it right there. It's an abundance of joy. Put yourself in their stead for just a minute. Asking the question if you're going to have a meal the next day. Knowing that because of five words, I believe in Jesus Christ, you could be killed. Knowing the suffering that happens in your life every single day. Yet because of their understanding of the mercy and grace and salvation of God, they have so much joy that it's actually overflowing from them. I think of the words of David in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. It's this overflow of joy that affects everything around them. You know, when I was thinking about this concept of overflow, many different ideas came to my mind, as many different ideas may be coming to your mind as well. But one of the illustrations that came to my mind is my coffee maker. Now, if you've ever been to my house, you might have seen me and my wife try and make coffee for large groups of people. And what happens to our coffee maker when we try and make coffee for more than eight people? What happens is that the water gets caught up in the grounds and it overflows all over our countertop, all over the front of our, uh, of our cupboards. It overflows onto the floor. The overflowing that happens, it affects everything that is around it. And there's actually a sign of this overflow that occurs. There's coffee stains everywhere. And we have to get out the paper towel. We have to clean up the grounds. We have to do all of those different things. But what we're seeing is this overflow overflow that occurs is affecting everything else that is around it, including my mood, right? Uh, you guys have ever had your coffee pot overflow. You know what I'm talking about. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that this overflow that is occurring from the church at Macedonia is from joy. They have so much joy within themselves, they can't even contain it. They are not able to keep it under the lid. It overflows from them. There's only one explanation of this because it's not their circumstances it is what Christ has done in them, and it is the grace and salvation that they have received. It's so important for us as the church of God, as we understand generous giving or generosity in general, or generosity with our time, or generosity with our prayers, or, or whatever else we can talk about, generosity with our love for our neighbors, generosity with our love for our enemies, to understand that this can only come from an overflow. 
And truly to have that overflowing within us, we have to sit in and grasp what Christ has done for us. We have to sit in and grasp where we would be if God hadn't broken into our lives. We have to sit in and understand what God has done that we could never do, which was bring a spiritually dead person to life in Jesus Christ. Have you ever just sat and thought about what your life would be like without Jesus? It's such an important thing to do as we think about understanding the grace and the joy of God in the midst of our severe and hard circumstances is to think back at all that Christ has given us through his grace. I was reading a devotional from uh, John Piper this morning, who's a, a pastor in Minnesota. It's called Solid Joys. And, and what it said within that is he said, I, I've never talked to a saint before who said that they grew and they became closer to God in their best times. I've talked to many saints and many faithful followers of Jesus who said that their greatest depths of faith and their greatest closeness to God came in their greatest afflictions and trials. And this is what is occurring with the Macedonian church. What they're doing doesn't make any sense at all. And what we're seeing here is they are not coerced within this generosity either. They're not guilted into it either. It's an overflowing from within them. And so as we see that, we can understand that first, grace overflows regardless of our circumstances. That when we truly understand the joy of Christ and the grace of God that he's given us, it overflows no matter what our circumstances are. Now, that is something that we must pray through, we must trust in the Spirit for, and we must actively pursue, but it should overflow within us. The second thing we see is that grace overflows beyond its limitations. Look in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. This was of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Again, put yourself in their shoes. They're in severe affliction, yet they're overflowing with joy. And their giving is according to their means. You know, the Apostle Paul may have come into the church of Macedonia, and he's trying to get relief for persecuted saints throughout Jerusalem, throughout Judea. And he's trying to be able to help them out through the offering of the churches. Well, he may have come into this church and been like, they're in severe affliction. They're in severe suffering. They barely have enough food to put on their table. I'm not going to expect much from them. They're going to give according to their means if they're going to give it all. And that makes complete sense. But what happens here is the Apostle Paul is actually shocked. Look at what happens. He said, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify. But this is the next part, and beyond their means, of their own accord. He didn't try and come in and guilt them into giving more. He didn't try and come in and use scripture to try and rip more money out of them. That, that's not what ended up happening within this. What happened within this is because of the understanding of joy and grace that was within these people, they understood that giving of money is worship to God. That giving of their, of their wealth, of, of what God has given them, 
it builds up treasures in heaven. That giving is love to the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They understood this principle. They knew God's grace. They knew his word. And it's a beautiful picture of a true understanding of grace that overflows within them. And I think it's important to look at the fact that the amount doesn't matter, right? I think it's important to look at the fact that it's not like, well, this person gave this amount and this person gave this amount. So this person has, 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 it, it understands joy more and understands grace more. It comes out of a heart of generous giving. You know, as we think about this idea, we think about giving to God generously and giving to his people generously and understanding the worship of God. It brings me back to the widow's might. If you've ever heard of this, this story before in, in Luke 21, 1 through 4, also known as the widow's offering. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's teaching them about this principle. Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance of wealth. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. That's incredible. God sees those who in their poverty still give and worship him. God sees those who in their humility say, God, I offer my worship to you. It's interesting because the amount of the money the Pharisees would have put in was far greater than what the widow put in. And they would have done things to throw the money down into the, into the collection box or, or thank the Lord that they could give such a great wealth and they'd make such a, a great show of how generous they were being. And she walks up and she puts in her two mites. Now, those around could have said, oh, is that all you're going to give to the Lord? But they don't know her heart and they don't know her circumstances. And Christ says that her offering is greater than all of the others because it comes out of overflow from her heart. Here's the truth. God doesn't need our money because it's not our money, it's God's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives us all good things. He is the one who blesses us and is the source of all things. But the reality is, as God looks at the heart of us and God looks at the generosity of us and God looks at a cheerful giver, he loves that because as we give him our, our, our relief to the saints and we help out others and we care for them and we think about others above ourselves, it is showing love to God and love to God's people and God loves that. It's a beautiful thing as we see the, the image of this woman. Now, I used to always think that she was a woman who was very poor and uh, beaten down in life. And she was just, uh, you know, shuffling to the offering box. And she puts her things in and she in, in sorrow and she shuffles back. But now as I look at this principle of overflowing joy, what could have caused her to give that? It was an understanding of who God was. It may have been in her joy that she gave her two mites. It was, it was an honor for her. And this is what we see here. We see within the text that the Macedonian church, they give. 
And Paul's, you can imagine Paul, he's like, that's enough, you guys. Like, you need to, this is not, you're given according to your means. But then listen to what happens. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They beg them earnestly. That's with passion of taking part and the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They see that it is favor and honor to be able to give to the relief of the saints. And really, when we look at this, we have to see a couple things. This giving for them was not a burden to them, but a blessing, and it blessed them. Second, they saw the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, where does this type of selflessness come from? It comes from your heart and life being transformed by Jesus Christ. And really, it comes for a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. If we look at the New Testament, family language is used everywhere. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. They're called spiritual fathers and mothers. We see this, this identity of family everywhere. And I was talking to someone just this last week who said, you know, I care about and love my church family more than my biological family. Because many their biological family has abandoned them. Now, within that, as being a follower of Jesus Christ, we can understand that if they don't know Christ, then, then that's how their nature leads them. But at the same time, understanding that the body of Christ in the church is family, and that's what we see here. They're understanding this relationship, that they are one in Jesus Christ, and they're called to carry each other's burdens. But if you think about it, if you have that family member that you're close to, wouldn't you do anything that you could within your means or even outside your means to help them out if they were in a very difficult circumstances. That's what we would do because they have this understanding of family. And the reality is that God honors a generous heart that seeks to please him. As we think about this, we have to always bring this back to the gospel. Think of all that Christ has given us. He gave his very only son to die on a cross that we could be forgiven of our sins Christ gives us all good things. Christ has given us everything we need in this life for life and godliness. Christ has given us everything we have and everything that we will have. And we're just called to honor him with it. In fact, he gave his very life for us. Because of his love. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He has also given those who put their faith and trust in him eternal life. We are called to love and serve and care for our body as family and give ourselves fully to the ministry of Christ. Now, the final way that we see uh, this grace being played out in our lives is that grace overflows as a giving of ourselves. Grace overflows as a giving of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. We see it so much deeper than putting in money for the offering for the relief of the saints. That comes from an understanding and a core of grace that overflows in joy within us, but then it comes from a giving of ourselves in every area of our lives to God. Truly, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I don't want you to think about generous giving. I don't want you to think about how you can contribute to the relief of the saints until you surrender your life to Jesus. Truly, you have to experience the grace and love of God and understand what you can be forgiven of. You can surrender your life to Jesus and, and turn away from your sins. You can, you can give your life to him and live for him from this day forward. And, and God will work in your heart and change your life and cause this overflow to happen within you. To understand joy and grace and peace and satisfaction so much so that you can see this type of generous giving within a Christian. You can surrender your life to Jesus today. Today could be the day of your salvation. Even as a Christian, though, as we understand the grace within us, it makes us want to give ourselves to Christ and surrender ourselves fully to him in everything that we are. And this is what's going on here with the Macedonian believers. One commentator reads it like this. Yielding oneself to God is the fundamental prerequisite to sacrificial giving to others. Without the vertical handing over of oneself, all horizontal having, handing over of oneself in service of others is done out of insincerity or hypocrisy or for show. We truly are called to give out of our abundance of understanding of grace and joy See, the most important thing for the Apostle Paul for any church is that they've first given themselves to God. And through this, they also are giving themselves to Paul and Titus and the work of the saints as well because as Christ saves us, we will have a love for his church. As Christ saves us, we will want to serve his church. As Christ saves us, we will want to invest in his church with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And what we see closing out this text in verse 6 and 7 is the application of what Paul is saying. In verse 6, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus, that's his fellow minister, that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. The act of grace he's talking about is this generosity of giving to the relief of the saints of God. It's really uh, Paul's application. And he wants to see gospel momentum and gospel movement happen in the church at Corinth that has happened in the churches in Macedonia. He wants to see them experience this joy and this grace. I think Randy Alcorn captured it well on that video. He says, I want you to get the joy of what it truly is to worship God with your finances, with your time, with your treasures, with your calendars. I want you to be, have the joy of what it is to give yourself to the Lord each and every day. One day I was talking to my father-in-law. He's been a pastor for 30 years. And I asked him, what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned within your life? 
He said, one of the greatest things within my life, he says, and this doesn't happen all the time, but one of the greatest things that I can tell you that I've experienced within my life is forgetting about myself. That can only happen through the love and grace of God. Because we're driven at our very core and our nature for self-preservation. We're driven at our very core and our nature to be prideful and selfish. Yet it is only through the grace of God breaking in, making a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that can truly cause us to be self-giving, loving people who give ourselves to God and who give ourselves to the work of the ministry. You see, Paul's primary concern is not about the budget, but the, but the fruition of genuine grace in the lives of the believers. Giving's not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. One commentator says that Paul is not handling the Corinthians with kid gloves because of their recent repentance, just the opposite. Here too, as in chapter seven, his command is the means of demonstrating the genuine nature of repentance. What Paul wants is first for people to surrender their lives to Jesus and give themselves to God. And then for us to experience the joy and grace that it is to overflow so much so that we can give to the relief of the saints. We must remember the kind generosity of God towards us that drives us to this type of generosity towards others. So the question is, how does this affect my life? Well, like I said before, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, hear today that Christ wants you. That Christ wants you to surrender your life to him. That you can have the grace of God given to you and be forgiven of your sins. You have to realize that you miss the mark of God's holy standard, which is absolute and complete perfection. You have to realize that because of that, you are separated from God in relationship. And because of that, you deserve punishment for all eternity in a place called hell. But the reality is that because of the grace and love of Christ, he gave his son for you that you could be forgiven of your sins and that you could be in relationship with him. So if you don't know Christ today, please surrender your life to Jesus. Give your life to him even in this moment. It's no magic words that you say. It's confessing your sins. It's putting your faith in Jesus and it's giving your life to him. For believers, there's very real application to this. See, what is happening here is that the church at Corinth is being called to give to the relief of the saints in Judea and Jerusalem. As we look throughout the world, Christians are the number one most persecuted people group on the planet. Did you know that every two hours a Christian is killed for following Jesus Christ? Can you imagine just for those five words, I believe in Jesus Christ, facing poverty, facing persecution, and facing prison? We, church, have to have a global perspective. We have to step outside of America and step outside of everything that's going on within America because there's a lot going on in America right now. But see the world with the eyes of God and see what is happening to his church. There have been more Christian martyrs in the last 150 years than the years that led up until that time. 
God's church is under persecution. God's church is in suffering. And I feel so much conviction. Because when I get up in the morning and I, and I have my hot cup of coffee, get to sit down in my comfortable chair, read God's word in full freedom. I don't think of my brother who's freezing in prison right now. I don't think of my brothers and sisters who are gathering in homes, terrified of what could happen, yet they're so filled with the joy and grace of God, they can't help but meet together. The application of this passage is twofold, I believe. One, pray for the persecuted church throughout the world. Prayer is powerful. And God listens to the prayers of the saints. We have a responsibility to pray for the persecuted church. For me, every time I have a cup of coffee, I want to pray for the persecuted church. Anytime God brings the persecuted church to your mind, pray for the persecuted church. Pray for God to work in them and give them grace and give them relief and give them joy to get through those circumstances and to give them boldness that they may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which they are an ambassador in chains. But twofold is asking how we can give to the relief of the persecuted church. We should go forth from here today and study and know more about the voice of the martyrs. We should study and go forth and know more about what's happening with the persecuted church, not just to pray for them, but to use the finances that God has given us in order to help relieve their suffering. They are people just like you and me. They are Christians just like you and me. They are trying to follow Jesus just like you and I. And for the same reason, we are gathered here today, the glory of God and the praise of Christ, they can lose their life. Yet with $35, we can provide for them relief. We can provide for them Bibles. We can provide for them food. Whatever amount of money it is, we can utilize the stuff that God has given us, the money that God has given us to help relieve the pain and persecution of the persecuted church and to truly understand the grace that God has given us and to pray to God and say, God, how can I contribute to the relief of the saints? And I just want to cause you to be viewing the church globally now, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world, and ask yourselves if you're truly grasping the grace of God and seeing this overflowing joy within yourself. And as that happens, ask God how we can relieve the suffering for the persecuted church throughout the world in prayer and also in giving as well. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.